When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell He scores the ball and he rebounds well Don't fight the future, here comes Luca. Even losses feel like wins When you're with your good friend Tim It's 77 minutes in heaven Hello, welcome. This is 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only Mavericks podcast that this weekend does not have to face off against a castaway former podcast host. Um, so there's certainly, you know, like that would be so cool, like a rivalry return of a of a. I'm just castaway. thinking. I'm just thinking like an Anchorman style fight between scene between Mike all Pellucci. of the Mouse podcasts. Yeah. Mike Pellucci, would you leave this podcast for $100 million? Absolutely. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> there's just not loyalty in the NBA these well, days. Here's my loyalty. You want, you want my, my hot take? This is a hundred percent authentic. I tell this to people and they lose their minds. You're going to lose your mind when you hear this. I would rather live in Dallas, Texas, and New York city any day of the week. It is the worst big city in America. I'm sure it's great if you're rich, but even then, it doesn't change that the weather's terrible and that you can't have like a freaking yard anywhere. And that it's just, oh, it sucks, man. It really, well, I don't like it. I'm an LA guy. Rather, I have lived in LA. I would rather live in LA. Jalen Brunson, sorry, brother. I'm sorry that you're rich in New York and young, and I'm sure your life is much, much more interesting than mine. That's Mike Pellucci, known for terrible decisions that he mostly posts on <laughs> D Magazine these days, but also, you know, frequent co host. It's actually been a few weeks since we've had you on. I'm oh, Tim Cato. I'm with you. I'm with you in part now. Come on now. Come on now. Oh, that's right. All right. A couple weeks ago, yeah. I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. And today we are uh, due to scheduling issues. We're actually recording during the Detroit Pistons game. That, as I look behind me, <laughs> oh man, Pistons up by seven now. Um, yes, anyway, yeah. this is headed towards another Mavs loss where the team that they are facing did not have. One of their best players. Their best player? Kate Cunningham is probably their best player. Although, man, the way Isaiah Stewart is playing, you know, maybe there's some quibbles there. Anyway, we're not really going to talk about the game, uh, no matter how, how, how it ends. I wanted to, and for a little bit, I've wanted to kind of sit down, think about what we thought about the team headed into the season. We're at the quarter mark. You know, whether the Mavericks have a losing record or a winning record at the end of this evening. When you're listening, you'll know. We had some very clear thoughts, as, in, as everybody does, coming into the season about what the Dallas Mavericks were, what they were going to be. How, one quarter of the way into the season, have those held up? And let's start with an obvious one. We thought this team would start fast. We thought that the, yeah. the makings of the conference finals run and the continuity that they brought into the season would be enough that this team would have a level of cohesion and a level of sustainability that they just launched right into it. And even if they weren't title contenders, even if their ceiling was a little bit worse, that that floor would be maintained, especially because Luka Doncic would be so good and so in shape and so brilliant that they would have no other choice but to be good. And that last part is correct. Luka Doncic is is pretty good. 
Mm-hmm. And yet this sluggish start, um, you know, redeemed by the Warriors game. Uh, we'll see what happens against the Pistons. This has not been a fast start whatsoever. What what are the reasons for that? Like that that's a prior that we have wrong. We're like, we're, we're just wrong about that. We'll talk about some others that we might be, you know, kind of yeah. uh, jury still out. We're just wrong about that. Why? Uh, well, I think you guys did a great job covering it on Monday uh, slash Tuesday when you all heard this episode, right? But recording Monday, I think it comes down to trying to play so similarly to the style that worked last year. But, and this probably falls into another prior that I don't think any of us were ready for, just a handful of tweaks made all the difference for how different this team is than last year in terms of they try to play the same way and they want to do the same things, but the cohesion isn't there. The defensive intensity isn't quite the same. And obviously the you know consolidation of three ball handlers and a two, which is really the biggest problem that they've got here. So when you have that, uh, it just, it doesn't work the same way. And, you know, to your, the other aspect of this, I thought you guys did a great job discussing. Also, shout out to the ceiling of the roof, you know, Mike Marshall, Bobby Corrala. They did a great job discussing this too. When you play at the slowest pace in the league, but you're going to the rim, you know, at least that was a week ago, they're going to the rim about six fewer times a game. The margin for error is just so tiny. And I think, I don't think we variance. could have expected the the margins would be this small. I think we knew Right. We, you know, we knew that with Brunson leaving and just the fact that it was a transition to your whole time, it's not like there was the ceiling on this roster is really high. I just don't think anybody could have predicted that the difference between them winning and losing a lot of games sometimes is does Luka Doncic play like one of the five best players in history versus does Luka Doncic play like one of the five best players right now? That's because that's kind of it, right? They have not won a game. Is Tark Franco did a new thing for us today? They haven't won a game in which Luka Doncic has scored under 32. So. That's not the best sign in the world. Uh, and which I would say leads me to another prior that we could discuss. You know, you said it. Luka Doncic has been amazing. We, they cannot ask anything more from Luka. And I know when we all did the podcast, we were making our predictions. And we thought about what this team could be. And I think we said, all of us said, this is a 50-win basketball team. A lot of the basis for it, and I know it was the basis for me, was Luka's at the point now that he can carry any mediocre-ish roster to 50 wins, much like how Dirk did at his apex. And we weren't wrong about Luka's level. I just think we really underestimated the fact, like, no, this team still somehow could put together a team that's just not nearly good enough to scare people, no matter how scary Luka is in what's becoming the best season of his career. Yeah, I think one of my priors was that Jalen Brunson is a really good player, that they, I believe they should have resigned him that they were yeah. certainly going to miss him at times, uh, especially when one of Spencer Dinwiddie or Luca missed a game here or there. But I didn't think that they would feel his absence quite like this. And we talked a little bit about this on Monday, but I think that Brunson covered up some inefficiencies within the Mavs offense that I didn't really see, or I did see, but I didn't realize how much they could possibly be exposed this season. You know, I, I think that I, I wasn't anticipating teams to, you know, so aggressively take away, uh, you know, two-point shots from the Mavericks, uh, both in, you know, not letting Luka run, you know, throw lobs to his pick-and-roll partner, quite frankly, you know, to, to summarize it to its very, you know, lowest level. Um, you know, I, I didn't think that, uh, you know, one thing I didn't foresee, and, and I, I think this is a conversation to have more in depth at a later point, but 
two-point shots have never been more efficient and more valuable in the NBA. There's there's some stats, there's analytics, the you know, those people who crunch the numbers are saying that two-point shots are becoming more efficient than three-point shots. And this is the first time that this has kind of changed. Dallas has always been on the forefront of the three-point revolution. They've always been, you know, if, if you go back over the past 10 seasons, um, I almost guarantee you, I haven't checked the numbers, but they're going to be top five in about eight of those 10 seasons. Like they've always shot a lot of threes. It was in Carlisle's DNA. He changes the coach when Jason, you know, when Luca got here, of course they're, you know, he's the best player in the NBA at generating threes, but more teams are taking threes. Uh, kind of cutting into that mathematical advantage and more teams are taking you know better twos which the Mavs don't really have teams are also turning it over less uh, this season than any of the prior seasons there's just a lot of things going into the idea that the Mavericks you know they don't offensive rebound they don't um, you know they don't get fast break points we, t- we talked about this on Monday I'm not trying to or on Tuesday um, you know but but I think that off these offensive struggles these offensive you know, letdowns are more exposed without Brunson. Something I just, I didn't anticipate that happening. And I, you know, I didn't anticipate him taking, you know, a a leap in New York. We'll see whether he does that for the whole year. But I I just thought this offense would still be top five. You know, like I I really expected them to be be top five. And I I think that their path to getting there, to be being that elite on that end this season uh, is, seems a lot more narrow than I thought. And, And right now they're, they're not, you know, they're, much closer to 15th than fifth. Yeah, I think so. I think one thing that we, you know, and I say we as media, but I think reality, just the public in general, a lot of the times, and for all we know, who knows, maybe this is NBA teams too. I think by and large, I think we're very good at classifying what kind of level a player is. Like, I think, you know, maybe Jalen Brunson plays this level the whole year and he goes up a notch, but like, I think we kind of all sort of pegged Jalen Brunson 40B if he stayed in Dallas. What I don't think we're as good at all the time is recognizing that when certain players like that have an elite skill within that archetype, that if you're in the right system, that can play up, right? So like if Jalen Brunson was a, I don't know, we'll throw a number, you know, a, a general grade, if he's a B-plus player in the grand scheme of the NBA, Luka Doncic is an A-plus. But in Dallas, the, the effectiveness and really the essentialness of – him understanding how to play off rhythm with Luka Doncic, right? He had the best quote of the whole season last year for this team, talking about what it's like to be a star playing with Luka and how you just have to kind of grow comfortably uncomfortable. Understanding mentally how to work with him and then being just so hyper-efficient for a guard in, you know, inside the foul line that even though we could sit there and say, well, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that, and the whole sum of this thing is a B-plus player if he stays in Dallas, right? Maybe it goes up to an A in New York, but if he stays in Dallas... The fact that he did those two specific things, the importance probably made him an A player, right? He may, you know, they pay him, his numbers would not look as good as they do in New York because you're playing next to Luka Doncic. And it would be very easy to kind of point fingers at it and be like, oh, well, should they pay him? Should they not? The debate would have gone on whether he stayed or whether he left. But what would have been beyond reproach is that safety valve that he provided would have stayed. That synergy with Doncic and the under the ability to know I have to take over here and I have to pull back here. That's just it's it was more valuable to Dallas, I think, than anywhere else. He can play as a great player in New York, but I do believe for what Luka Doncic is and the specific parts around him, I think everybody from the organization down to us, down to the public, probably underestimated a little bit just how essential he was with those carrying tools in this system. This is going to be rephrasing my my last point a little bit, uh, but I think this is like the way to say it i i don't think i think that efficient two-point shot making has never been more valuable in the nba 
Luca can do that. We've seen a little bit of that from Christian Wood, but taking away Jalen Brunson, who would uh-huh. get you really efficient. There's only so many shots you can take at the rim. Obviously, still the best shot you can take in basketball is a shot right at the rim. Yeah. You know, the second best shot is probably a, a corner three, but there are players who transcend what a really valuable three, you know, two point shot is. And Jalen Brunson had that ability to mm-hmm. take, you know, find and take and make shots from 10 feet, several of them a game, you know, sometimes eight a game, sometimes nine a game, and he'd make five of them. And that specific skill has never been more valuable, I think, in this league. And that's really what's been missing because the Mavericks have how many players, you know, they have two players who can do that. And Christian Wood can, you know, sometimes do it. Luca yeah. obviously can do it. Uh, I think that we're seeing more and more of the best players, uh, sorry, the best teams have players who have some ability to, you know, maybe it's a pet shot, you know, maybe it's Marcus mm-hmm. Morris dribbling into a 12 footer, but he makes that shot pretty efficiently. And the Mavericks just don't have players like that. Uh, you know, like as, as I've been watching this, this Mavs Pistons game, Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, is, is struggling to even, you know, like I, I see an impetus from him. I see a desire to get to the rim and drive and do something with the ball and, he just gets there and he he misses finishes that other players will make. You know I love Dorian. It, yeah. It's it's not a slight to him that he doesn't have the skill set because we know how valuable what he His does. Other is. things are yeah yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, although I do think he's worse been worse defensively this year. But not having anybody who has any ability, you know, kind of in that mid range, kind of on their own, not even on their own. Maybe it's maybe it goes down as a Luka Doncic assist. But that guy who can take two dribbles into the into the lane, do something with it, score from it, um, because the Mavericks don't create a dependable. dependably is the key, right? Because Christian Wood has these moments where he's spectacular, but you just don't know what you're getting night to night. And even if even if there is some better idea, the coaching staff doesn't trust that. They trusted Jalen implicitly for good reason, and that was the key that you know Luca will give it to you consistently, and Jalen would have too. And it's you're right that it's the skill, but it's also the repeatability of the skill. And I don't even know with this team right now, even even a Spencer Dinwiddie, who's been great out of the gate, how much do you trust this long term? I, you know, I, I don't know if I trust it to this degree. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. I think there's reason for optimism, but I'm not going to sit here and say 20 games into the season, yes, I know what Spencer Dinwiddie will consistently deliver. We knew what Jalen Brunson would consistently deliver. And that is that was worth a lot of money for this team. Yeah, yeah, I was actually about to bring up Spencer, you know, like he's still someone who, but he, but he takes six two-pointers a game, you know, he is, he's not a reliable source in Oh, I'm not that even manner. saying it's, yeah. it's two-pointers, I'm simply saying just the sum total of Spencer's contributions, right, because that's, his game is different than Jalen Brunson's game. My point was, Jalen no, Brunson's sure. game is not yeah. just valuable, but we knew that what he did was dependable. Spencer does different stuff, but I'm not even sure the stuff that he does well is completely dependable to this point right now, right, because he's shooting, what, 40% from three? That would be a career high. I'll believe that at the end of the year when I see it. You know the big thing about Spencer that he did last year and he's not doing this season? Hmm. He's not going to the free throw line. Yeah. Like like a stark difference. He has gone from, uh, so free throw rate, uh, which I believe measures basically how many free throw attempts you take per field goal attempts. Uh, Anything over 0.3 is great. If you're taking, you know, for every shot attempt, you're taking, you know, for every three shot attempts, you're taking a free throw. That's fantastic. Uh, he was taking 43% last year in Dallas, and he's taking uh, 0.16. So he's taking like three times fewer free throws. Uh, not quite three, but you know, uh, almost almost three times fewer, fewer trips to the line, free throws attempted, 
than last season. And that's interesting. You know, that kind of just dawned on me. I just looked it up. And, you know, now that I think about it, I test, it checks out. But I I don't have a good reason to necessarily explain that. Or, or, Or I do, because so often he's the one ball handler. Exactly. And so, and and here's the, that was what I was going to say. And uh, spoiler alert, if you want to just be mortified defensively, you know, what could happen defensively. And I guarantee you, Jason Kidd does not want that. You know, the way to free Spencer up is to have somebody else in the ball. Uh, You don't want Kemba Walker and Spencer doing on the floor together. Bad things will happen if that goes down. So, you know, that would, on the surface, who are the guys who could benefit most from Kemba Walker? Well, Spencer would be one, but that's just going to murder you defensively. You can't do that. So, yeah, that's, uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, that, that goes back to some of the talks that we've had. I feel like we have that talk every week. We'll have this talk every week the rest of the way. Like, there are only so many outs on this roster right now. There are just only so many things that you could do. And that leads me to, I would say, another another prior. And I don't know if it's, and it's evolving, right? We're 20 games into the year. But we saw Jason Kidd adapt pretty seamlessly after the Porzingis trade and really switch up what this team did well. And we also saw him kind of reconsider his own priors, right? You know, this time a year ago, well, no, when, when did Bullock get into the rotation a year ago after he was complaining early in the, early in the season? Throughout it was January. He started shooting better end of December. Which, which is, maybe which it was is what he COVID, does. But it was, yeah, it was January. Yeah. Right. But there were people who were very upset and like, you know, asking the same questions of pressers. Why are you not playing Reggie Bullock? And so I guess if we're going by the calendar, then maybe we still have a little more time to figure this out. But so far, I didn't expect Jason to be this married to what happened last year. Because, and to, you know, if you're this married to what you did in the playoffs with a different roster, it sort of tells you that he thinks that he found the solution, capital letters, the solution, as opposed to lowercase letters, the solution that worked for that roster in that moment of time, right? And it was to his credit that, okay, midway through the year, Bullock's ready, put Bullock in. Deadline happens, move Porzingis, cool. We'll play a totally different way. We'll figure this out. It'll work. The, one of the themes of the season far, so thus far is Jason is Jason is sticking to his priors. And I did not expect it to this degree. And maybe maybe that changes, right? 20 games in, he has said before, Christmas is kind of the flashpoint where he really starts looking at stuff. We already saw in the Golden State game, the fact that I thought it was telling he turned to Josh Green in the fourth quarter after Dinwiddie got the flagrant foul as opposed to going to Reggie. Reggie would have been the safe move, even though Reggie's been playing poorly. Instead, he goes to Josh Green and trusts him, and Josh Green rewards him, right? So maybe in 15 games, we're saying, hey, Jason just didn't want to panic early. He did change things. But I thought he wouldn't be, I guess, as publicly combative about changing it as I feel like he sometimes has been or has come off that way, to be fair. And one of my priors was I thought the team would have a top 10 defense. And if Jason Kidd was being dogmatic with the decisions he was making, if because the team was playing good defense, because the team was still in that top 10. Um, if he was just like, this is the way I am orientated and I'm going to play those guys who I trust to play better defense and to keep us, you know, keep his team, you know, mimicking his, I'm assuming the role of him and using uh, us and we terms. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, if, if, if that's what was going on, then I guess I would have a little bit more understanding, but the team hasn't looked that great defensively. And, Honestly, even even though they're you know right around the top ten, I think a lot of us feel pretty strongly it's been impacted by schedule and specifically uh, a lot of guys star being out offensive players playing. missed through schedule you know just yeah. just by good fortune and I I don't fully know what to make of that because this team was so interconnected even without and like we knew last season they didn't have 
like the it defender. They didn't have an all NBA no. guy. Right. Um, as much as Dorian Finney-Smith earned buzz for that, I, I he's not that level. He's he's a, he's a little bit below, and so is Maxi, uh, at his best. So is and, Reggie, yeah, and so is Reggie at his best. I don't think Josh Dorian, Green wasn't what he is looking like he could be now. So yeah, right. yeah, there wasn't that. Josh guy. Green has probably been the best defender on the team this season. I, you know, I mean, that Dorian was always has been good. Uh, right. Reggie Bullock has been okay at times. I've I've seen good stretches from him, but I don't think he's consistently. Um, there, I think Dorian Finney-Smith has been a little bit worse. I think Maxi has um, overall been pretty good. He he still might be the best defender on the team. Um, but this this team, you know, the introduction of of two more players who are, you know, I think Christian Wood has held his own at times. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. has mostly been bad, and which has happened before. Yeah, and just replacing two players with, you know, you know, we we talked a lot about how this schematically the team was overachieving and we thought that you know it was coaching that got them to that level that coaching that amplified them and i guess it's possible it was just the players like they had really smart players they had players like jalen brunson who overperformed what would have been expected you know like, well and i also think like it's just every team environment's different year to year you know the, the room is different year to year and that's not to say that this is a bad locker room by any stretch of imagination but it's just Look who they lost. Jalen Brunson, the intangibles are off the charts. You go all the way down to freaking Boban as the end of the bench guy who everybody loves, you know, who wanted nothing and yet delivered a whole lot in the room. Uh, you know, it's it's sometimes when you do that and sometimes when you are the team that has everything to prove versus the team that comes back and there have been a couple changes and you're trying to figure out who you are out of the gate, uh, you know, and you played a whole lot of basketball late in the year. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... It's there, that's kind of the ineffable part. We're not there. We don't see the dynamics every day. But you lost some culture setters, and even if you get different ones, right? You know, for all we know, behind the scenes, I mean, there's all kinds of good things happening with the new dudes in that room. But whenever you lose a couple culture setters and you don't come out of the gate fast, you try to figure out what the hell you are. You know, it's not like this team had been a playoff team for six years, and the core was gelled the whole time, and they knew who they were, and you had that kind of. You know, that's sort of the way a team becomes like a dog in its golden years. You just know the rhythms of this thing. They know how to work together. They can pick themselves up out of this. This team was new. That team, the team that got to the playoffs, that essentially in a lot of ways started forming at the trade deadline. So they had a few months together, and then there's another revolution when Jalen leaves. And it's just, you know, they don't come out of the gate with any momentum this time. I, I could see this being a lot more, like you said, right? Last year, it, a lot of it was effort. A lot of it was buy-in. A lot of it was smarts and happening at the right time. Well, if you are, if we're accepting the premise that the non, you know, the non-physical aspects, you know, the soft skills in a lot of ways helped set the tone here. I could also buy that if the environment changes even a little bit, those soft skills don't play up in quite the same way, or that they're harder to get back. I maybe. I mean, that's maybe. obviously really hard know. to prove, I don't right? Know. I, I'm I'm more inclined to just think that if the defensive strength is everybody on a string rotations, and you take out a player or two that were not ideal at that and you add in a player or two who are will lapse a little bit at times and you know you could even say this for Spencer Dinwiddie for example somebody who they have to lean on in a heavier role this season than last season I remember a game against Milwaukee um, last season against Milwaukee they won it and Spencer Dinwiddie was basically benched in the second half because he was he missed some rotations in the first half they don't have that luxury this year. You know, they, right. they in that game, they ran with Jalen Brunson the entire second half and they won the game. They don't have the luxury of 
you know, benching the only other, you know, point guard yeah. ball creator on this yeah. team for a second half, you know, unless he gets ejected because he's, you know, the referees are out to get him. And that's why he's not getting free throws. I'm kidding. And, and it, it, you know, like without having that ability and, and having to play players more often who, you know, don't, um, you know, it, it's not even to say they're they're bad defenders um, or, or they're not trying. It's to say that, you know, once you take two pieces out of a Jenga puzzle it, and put them on so top. Inter- it's so interdependent. The whole it, thing. It, yeah. It, like collective. that level of absolute interconnectivity. Cohesion. Yeah. All of a sudden is just a little shakier. And and it's a in a way that that really makes it fall and and, and stumble a little bit. And which goes look, I mean, which is really this, in a this lot defense of defense isn't like worse in the league or anything, to be clear. Like no, they're still no, good. No, no, they're no. still shuttling a lot of times they're still shuttling teams into the type of shots they want them to take. And a lot of their peripheral numbers remain pretty good in terms of those type of things. But it clearly by the eye test does not look the same. It doesn't look like it's bothering teams as much and whether they can just turn it on again or, or get to the point, you know, the coaching staff can get them to the point in January where it looks like that the unit it was last season. Maybe that's the case. And then, and then at that point we'll update our priors and say, okay, this just isn't something you can do for the whole year. But once you have a few months of coaching it and training with it, that's when it comes on. Maybe, but yeah, I kind I mean, of had in my head that it would it would kind of coast over, maybe not as good, but close to. And I don't think it's done that. Well, and to take a full circle, right? We talked about the, the sort of the fragility on offense of when you play slow, you don't go to the rim enough that every possession, you know, the margins are tiny. That's the defensive answer. If so much of your defensive success is on cohesion and all five guys making the rotations at the right time because you don't have a plus level wing defender to bail you out all the time or a plus level rim protector and you have those two things together on offense and on defense, it's so delicate, man. And they just don't have the talent on this roster to bail them out a lot of the time. They have Luka, but Luka can't do it all. And that's where if there's one thing that sort of explains this all, a microcosm of the situation and why our biggest prior of we thought they'd be better than they were, well, it's because it's just real delicate and you're trying to depend on a lot of margin calls when you don't have the roster that can bail you out of that stuff. You can't out-talent anybody with this team. That's a serious contender. I'm sorry, but you can't. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that sums it up well. Well, the Mavericks have the rest of a game to play against the Pistons. They're down three points, and Christian Wood has been playing well, it looks like. Um, Christian Wood revenge game against Detroit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see Sean Sweeney revenge game, if you really think about it. Oh, uh, we'll God. see how that plays out. We'll see how uh, Jalen Brunson's first game against the Mavericks goes uh tomorrow or sorry not well tomorrow probably by the time you're listening to this uh more importantly before that the mavericks play um belgium netherlands belgium's out they play the netherlands you said watch that you said not the united states you said the mavericks whatever man they're playing the whole nation of belgium i'm already hates waffles i mean they'd probably win how many how many nba talents does uh does the netherlands have Anyway, it's it's going to be a, a, a fun, int- uh, exciting sports uh, Saturday morning, and yeah, I'm looking be. forward to that. I'm flying out to New York tomorrow, so let's get out of here. Uh, appreciate the time, Mike, and we'll be back with a couple episodes next week talking about all those things, all these things, everything, and more. See ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The 
future is Luke, a big dick Donjic from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future, it tears me apart. Don't fight the future, please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Oh! Shut it down! Oh, Let's go home! <laughs> it's a wrap, Doug! Yeah, that is a wrap. <laughs> Woo!